Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 64 of Radio 815. My name is Matt Crandall. I am your co-host here with Marcelo Inestroza. As we continue our journey through Lost Season 5, this is Radio 815, the podcast dedicated to the works of J.J. Abrams and his extended Bad Robot universe. And as we've been going, we've been getting deeper and deeper into the jungle and the weirdness of Lost Season 5. Today, we are talking about episodes 11, 12, and 13. And I hope you're liking this podcast because, Marcelo, you and me can't actually change this podcast. It's all already been done because, as the title of episode 11 tells us, whatever happened, happened. So, Marcelo, when you are tripping through time and finding out that even though young Benjamin Linus was shot in the last episode, People on island are playing it cool because they sort of know whatever happened happened and Ben doesn't die while the rest of the people are still thinking they got to do everything to save this kid. What was going through your mind as this is all going down? Okay, first of all, what was going through my mind as all of this stuff was going down? I was like, why in God's green earth don't you just let that son of a bitch die? Why do our lofties have to be such good people? Just this one time, I would have forgiven them for letting Benjamin die in the dirt. If our lofties didn't do what they did in this episode, I guarantee you that if they would have let Ben die, I would have been happy. But another part of me would have been like, oh, come on, guys. My favorite characters wouldn't do that. Sawyer and Kate wouldn't do that. So I would have been okay with it, but like 30 seconds later, I'm like, that's uncharacteristic of their characters. That doesn't make any sense. The thing that I really, really enjoyed about this episode, as you hinted, what happens on the island happens. I loved the conversation that was going on with Miles and Hurley in this episode. And I love how they were discussing time travel and how time travel works on the island. My favorite part of their conversation is when uh, Miles catches Hurley looking at his hand. And I'm like, what is Hurley doing? And I'm like, he's thinking about Back to the Future. He's basically looking at his hand and he goes, why am I still here? Because if Ben dies, then I'll just disappear into nothing. I loved their philosophical conversations in this episode, we were able to see Kate fulfill that favor for Sawyer. We saw a, I don't know if it was a flashback or flash forward of Kate actually going to see uh, Sawyer's daughter. So that was really fun. And the highlight of this episode for me was watching our losties deal with Ben and the conversation about how time travel works. Yeah, the whatever happened, happened speech that Miles gives and the back and forth between him and Hurley as Hurley is thinking that it's back to the future rules where he can change the past. And Miles is explaining you can't. And Hurley is trying to wrap his head around it. And that back and forth was really well done because it explains to us that, okay, even though this is Hurley's present and whatever happens to him is new Anything that actually, any of the characters living in 77, if they are still alive in the future, then we know that they can't die and whatever Hurley does now will not affect their overall 
trajectory. But Hurley himself could die on the island now because this is 2007 Hurley who has come to the the past, not past Hurley who has come to the past. So I just love the way that they break that down and Hurley is still not not quite getting it, but we as an audience get it. So the whole time Sawyer and Juliet are trying to figure out how they are going to save Ben. We know that this is somehow going to work out. So even when they approach Jack and they say, Jack, you have to help. And Jack, ignoring the Hippocratic oath that doctors take, that and Juliet even calls him out on it, saying, like, you know, how dare you not? And he says, I realize this is a kid and everybody is treating it like this is a kid, but this kid is Benjamin Linus. This is not a normal kid. And Jack is not privy to this. Whatever happened, happened information. And Sawyer doesn't really have a grasp on that either. So they are all in this battle thinking that Jack could have made this decision that would have saved Ben's life. But because we know Ben doesn't die, we know they are going to find another way. And that other way is the others. So I did like that whole storyline as it's playing out where we see Sawyer and Kate team up to bring Ben to the others. That was really interesting. This episode is a Kate-centric flashback episode in kind of the traditional way. And a lot of those flashbacks um, start with her visiting Cassidy and Clementine and Cassidy can see on Kate's face that Kate and Sawyer had a thing. And she says, Oh, like you poor fool. When that guy jumped off that helicopter, that wasn't him being a hero. That was him being a coward. And I thought that was a really harsh, but interesting moment. And seeing Kate take in that information was very added new layers to the way that she perceives Sawyer and kind of made her reflect on herself, which leads to later when she realizes that she has to go back to the Island and we get more context that she felt that she needs to go back and bring Claire and bring these people that she left because it was kind of a cowardly move for them to just abandon their fellow losties to go get rescued and pretend that nothing has happened. And that moment where she has the meeting with Carol Littleton, Claire's mom was very nice and sweet, but also showed such a vulnerability and a regret and still a lot of longing in Kate that she is not fulfilled. So she had to go back to the Island because not all of her came back. And I thought that was really interesting. During that scene, as Kate is explaining to Claire's mother, why they did what they did. Evangeline Lilly's acting in that specific scene and in another scene that comes a little later just knocked me on my fucking ass. Actors use this liquid like when they need to cry on demand. I mean, some actors can just, you know, you know, some directors can say, uh, I need you to cry right now. And, you know, and they'll do it. But some actors need a little bit of help. And when and when actors need a little bit of help, they'll they'll put this chemical in their eye that will burn for a couple of seconds. But after that, their eyes get really watery and they start crying. I don't know if Evangeline Lilly used that chemical or 
she's just that type of an actress to where she can just draw raw emotion on her face when she's acting on a particular scene. But I just love seeing the pain and anguish on her face. I love the tearful goodbye that she has with Aaron. I mean, that broke that that broke me right there. I mean, I've always wanted to be a father, and hopefully one day I'll get to be a father. Knock on wood. I don't think it's going to happen, but I really hope it does. But when she gets up and she starts to walk out of the room and she turns around and she says, goodbye, baby. I was like, that's it. I lost it. I, start, I, I started bawling my eyes out. Big emotional moment. And Evangeline is awesome in that moment for sure. It gets you. Also, a scene that I liked very, very much was when Evangeline and Aaron were at the supermarket. But but the one thing that really stuck out to me is that when when Sawyer and Kate finally met up with Richard and the others, and you know Richard said, "Listen, if I take him and if I save him, he won't be the same. He'll be different. He'll be one of us forever." Could that be an explanation as to why Ben doesn't remember Saeed when he originally met him? If Because if somebody shoots you as a little kid, you remember that. When Benjamin Linus first shows up, one of the first people that he meets is Saeed. And Saeed tortures him. Ben gives no indication that he knows who the hell Saeed is. The writers knew that we were going to be calling bullshit. So they did write in that Richard says he won't remember any of this. And somebody else had a conversation, I think, earlier in this episode where they said if whatever happened, happened. And how come Ben didn't recognize Saeed years later? And now we find out why. And it is because, you know, Richard says he won't remember any of this. But the weirder part is that that whole thing of like, he will always be one of us and this will take away his innocence. And it's like, what the hell does that mean? When Richard says, you know, he will always be one of us and this will take away his innocence. I'm like, okay. I'm with you on that, man. I'm like, okay, what the hell does that mean? Benjamin, as a little kid, he was never really shooting with a straight deck. He has always been able to play in the gray areas, pile on top of that what Richard did to him. I think when you take those two things, you get the Benjamin Linus that we met way back when. You eventually get, you know, Henry Gale. A questionable conscience and morals to begin with, and then you strip away some of his innocence, and it just does help create uh, the monster that we have come to know as Benjamin Linus. Before we jump to the next one, I just want to mention is that in those moments when they are pleading with Jack, and he says he's done trying to fix things, and that now he trusts in the island was a complete reversal of the usual Jack. And he's now trying to follow this kind of John Locke ethos of, uh, I'm not going to do anything other than just trust in the island. And Kate then says, I don't like this new Jack. And he says, well, you didn't like the old me either. And I thought that was like a really cutting character moment between those two who have had some serious ups and downs. And that was one thing that really stuck out in this episode that they are not a big part of. Well, certainly Jack and Kate together are not a big part of Kate is a giant part of, but then the episode does finish with as Richard takes 
Ben, he takes him to the temple. So this is where we have just seen the temple this season. The smoke monster lives under it. It attacked Russo's people when Jin was with them outside the temple. He pushes open a stone door and goes inside. And then we cut to present day Benjamin Linus, um, who is waking up and he sees John Locke over him. And John says, welcome back to the land of the living. And then we jump on from that moment to episode 12, Dead is Dead. Or is it, Marcelo? What did you think of Dead is Dead as we learn more about Benjamin Lioness's past, fills in some of the gaps of what he was doing before Ajira Air, all the while he is trying to wrap his head around John Locke sitting in front of him. I love Benjamin Linus's psychosis, trying to convince himself that he's doing this to sort of atone for what happened to Alex. And I'm like, you're not doing this to atone for what happened to for for what happened to the daughter that you stole. You're doing this so whoever fucking controls the island won't kick you the fuck off. When Ben goes into the temple, or when he goes under the temple, I should say, and he you know, and, and we finally see where the smoke monster comes from. And the smoke monster envelops Ben and shows him various uh, flashes of his relationship with his daughter. Michael Emerson's performance as Ben was pitch perfect because I got to thinking, so are these real emotions coming out of Ben or is he just putting on a show for the smoke monster? Does he really feel these emotions? Tough to tell. And I think that the flashbacks earlier in the episode give us a bit of context that some of the things that he does feel are legitimate and that even though we know him as this bastard, he's not always that way. Every time he's pushed to do something that he has to do, how come he results to being a son of a bitch all the time? I would agree with that, except for the flashback in this episode that shows young Ben and the the way that they give us young Ben is by giving Michael Emerson ridiculous hairstyles. Young Ben and little Ethan go and they're spying on Rousseau and Whitmore has instructed him to go there and do something. And so he does go and he discovers that Rousseau has a baby and he takes the baby. And when he comes back, Ben is mad at Widmore that he hadn't told him about the baby before he went on this mission. And Ben says Rousseau poses no threat. And Widmore demands that he kill the baby, claiming that it's the will of Jacob. And Ben refuses, saying that if the island wants this, then Widmore should do it. And Ben doesn't have to do it. So if it's the will, then anyone can do it. And Widmore scoffs and and heads off. And we find out that that's part of this fracture between Ben and Widmore is that Ben wouldn't cross that line and wouldn't kill the baby that he was ordered to kill. And instead of not only does he not kill her, he ends up raising her as his own. And despite his actions that we have seen, he does come to care for Alex quite a bit as a daughter, so much so 
that he does want to seek revenge for the fact that she got murdered and he does accept responsibility in this episode in one of the flashbacks where he says, I made a mistake when they said that I could have stopped this from happening. I should have stopped it. I, for some reason, thought I was more important and the island was more important and I didn't choose Alex and that was the wrong choice. So I thought those were the moments that show me that Ben is a bastard and we know that he is because even during this whole episode, he did kill Locke and he knew Locke would come back, but now he's trying to convince son that this is not John Locke and this is some sort of undead demon. Um, because as he says in that smoke monster moment, he was planning on killing John Locke on the Island and resuming his reign as King of the others. But when the smoke monster judges him, he realizes that is not why he is there. And he has to fall in line because he has made some huge mistakes and his favor with the Island is over. Even if the smoke monster doesn't kill him, he is not the king of the castle anymore. So I thought those were the, the moments that showed me that he's not always bad, even if he is mostly bad. I just want to pose one question and one observation. Has Ben ever been the king of the castle? He's been the leader of the others. Ben has always been looking for, quote unquote, respect from X individual, but he never gets it. Ben, in my mind, throughout the whole series, is always chasing this one thing that he will never get. And that, to me, is what makes him the type of character that he is. My second point at the beginning of this episode, when Ben wakes up and he sees, you know, Jesus, John, or whatever he is now, and he says, I knew when I killed you, I knew that you were going to come back. But now seeing it, knowing something and seeing something are two completely different things. When he said that line, I knew that you were going to come back from the dead. I don't care what you say, man. I, I call bullshit. That line played like absolute bullshit to me. Well, I definitely agree that he is trying to play it cool, but he is surprised. And that is why you know, he does say, oh, I was planning on killing John again because he he's not sure what this is because he believes that dead is dead. So I do feel that he he killed John off island thinking that he would stay dead. He didn't necessarily think that it, the island would bring him back. He thought they might need his body to to get back. But I do think that this is new information to him for sure. And I did like, you know, part of this stuff with. Ben and you know, you saying he wasn't ever king of the castle. I think that what has been true about Ben is that he is never satisfied with what he has. And there are two different things that he is seeking and he has held some at some time and not both at the same time, which is before John Locke arrived to the Island, he was the king of the others, and they followed him around and did everything he wanted. But while that was happening, his social status was very low because he was unlikable. Nobody wanted to associate with him on a personal level, but they would follow his every whim in terms of what the others were doing on island. 
and he is longing for that. He wants to be the king, but he wants to be loved, which are two different things, but that's what he's always searching for is he wants that acceptance of people to recognize that he is special and love him for it, which is why he's always so jealous of Locke because he feels that this is somehow threatening to him being loved. Um, and I, I do think that most of the time we have known him, he hasn't had that King of the Castle because the plane crash throws his whole equilibrium out of whack when the island picks a new savior in this man who was in a wheelchair and can now walk. So I do think that part of that thing with Ben is that he wants the power, but he wants to be loved. And very often those two things do not go hand in hand and you have to pick one, and he always picks the wrong one. Would you agree or disagree that John Locke has never been really loved, per se, by his friends? John Locke has always been perceived as this nutter by our losties in several, you know, points throughout the show. The only love that John has ever cared about is the love of dear old dad, who will never give it to him. So in lieu of that love, John will run with the, he is special. And that is why his dad couldn't love him as the excuse to balance the scales for John personally. So I feel like John's ethos is slightly different, but as we saw in his past, it was always about chasing this daddy doesn't love me. I want daddy to love me thing um, that sabotaged the rest of his life. So when the Island picks him out and says, you have a special path. You are fated to be special. That eases all of John's other burdens. One more thing, Matt, before you, uh, you move us on to the final episode. This is, I have a favorite moment in this episode, and I don't know why I like it so much, but there is a moment where Locke and Ben need to borrow a boat. And Ben ends up shooting an individual. But the reason why I like the scene so much is that this individual basically appointed himself leader of a, a specific subset of the people that landed on the islands when our original losties decided that they need to go back. And we know nothing about this individual, but we don't know enough to care about him. And I just felt that he came off as arrogant, stuck up, and ignorant. So when Ben basically shot him and shut him the hell up. I, I cheered. Yeah. Caesar was starting to really great. And they did show us that Ilana and Bram maybe are part of some sort of weird other faction because they ask Frank, what lies in the shadow of the statue as some sort of coded phrase. And he doesn't know the answer. And that is something that, we haven't really had much of before, but that is the first mention of it out of two that happen in these next two episodes. So that's some other something that's coming to the surface that we haven't seen before. And yeah, that Caesar dude got what he deserved because <laughs> he was really sticking his neck into business that it didn't belong in. And we also did see how Ben summons the smoke monster from that other season where 
Alex got killed and then Ben went into that weird room. We now follow him into that secret passage and he goes through like a hieroglyph door and uh, sees a bunch of temple like things. And he basically unplugs the bathtub of the island in this weird room. And uh, it doesn't work. But it was interesting to see that that is how he did it in season four when Alex was killed because we never saw what he did to summon the monster. And so they do have to go deeper into the temple for him to have his encounter with the monster. But we did find out that there was that way from Ben's house that he used to be able to summon the smoke by pulling this weird plug and doing some strange stuff in a portion of the temple that happened to be in his back closet. So that was fairly interesting, but certainly not as interesting as episode 13 which has the best title out of this batch by far. Certainly for me, some like it Hoth, a nice tip of the cap to good old empire strikes back. Marcelo, you have had some suspicions about miles, miles, abilities and what they were and how, and this episode fills in so many gaps about miles that we had little to no idea about were you surprised or did you remember that dr pierre chang and miles have more than just uh, a passing connection a very deep connection unbeknownst to us i did not remember the connection between dr ph chang and miles and when that was revealed in this episode my mind was like wait what? When I was uh, watching um, these episodes for this week and I saw the title of this episode, I was like, ooh, this is the episode where Hurley tries to write one of the Star Wars movies. And I'm like, Hurley, do you really think that's going to work? Like, if Hurley <laughs> actually finished the script and sent it to George Lucas, do you think that George Lucas would have taken it? I doubt it. But I do love that he says he's seen it 250 times, so he, he knows it all and he has made some improvements. <laughs> and that if he just mails it to him, then George will get this better version of Empire Strikes Back and be able to make that. And I thought that was pretty funny. So the fact that Hurley thought he could course correct it uh, means that he had not watched The Rise of Skywalker. The thing that I really, really enjoyed about this episode is that we actually got to see Miles when he was a young kid and how his powers affected him. We see Miles and his mother uh, trying to make an agreement with a landlord to, to, to live in a in a in an apartment complex. And Miles wanders off and he hears this voice coming from one of the rooms and he walks into the room and there he sees his body. And a couple of seconds later, uh, it cuts to his mom talking to this landlord trying to make the deal. And his mother hears him screaming and she runs to the room where Miles is in. You know, Miles keeps saying, I can hear him, I can hear him. And then Miles says things to the landlord guy that only the body on the floor would know. Okay, that's a really interesting way to show us how his powers affected him when he was a little kid. And it also explains as to why that he is so turned off as an adult. When Miles was first introduced, I knew that I would eventually turn around on his character. You know, uh, for the past couple of weeks, I was like, 
what is the fucking purpose of you? I was like, when are we going to get it? All you've been doing lately is complaining, whining, and not helping. Why the fuck are you here? This episode really kicked me in the ass. We're going to give you what you've been waiting for. And they gave me that in spades. But the one scene where I completely lost my fucking mind, uh, Miles and Hurley, or they drive the van to the secret area to where the Dharma Initiative are working on something. And, you know, they, they make it there. There are these two workmen working on a hatch. And they're typing out specific numbers on the hatch. I'm like, no way. No way. And I'm like, these motherfuckers built our hatch. These people are evil and they need to die. I love when they're doing the serial number. And they're like, what's the serial number? And they start calling it out and stamping it. And then they can't read the last number. And Hurley's like, 42. Perfect moment. And seeing the look on Hurley's face, like the knowing and the exasperation of how these numbers have fucked up his whole life. Um, was so great because the best scenes in this episode for me are just Hurley and Miles in a van hanging out, having these talks where we get to the bottom of a lot of this stuff. Hurley is the one guy who would understand Miles's plight and his special ability. And so I love that where Miles tells him that he can only hear the dead people. And Hurley's like, you can't see them? And he's like, no, that would be crazy. And Hurley's like, oh, well, I play chess with them. I see them. And Miles is like, okay, that's not what I have. I get like a feeling and I can only know whatever they knew before they died. So if it's new information, I can't get it out of them. But if it happened before they died, I can get it. So I thought that was really interesting. And just the fact that these two guys have so much in common, so much so that later, as it is explained that Miles is very mad because his father abandoned him and his mother when he was young, didn't want anything to do with them, or so his mother has told him, because she's been very cagey about it. And when he came to the island, he did not know that his parents were going to be there and that he himself as a six month old baby was going to be there. It was only when his mom got in line behind him at the lunch counter that he realized that this was the thing. And Hurley says to him, you got to find out what happened and you can actually learn more about your dad when he just thinks you're a buddy of his who's working here and it might do a lot of healing for you. And I get the hesitance because me and my dad had a bad relationship, but now my dad is one of my favorite guys. We worked it out. He loves me. I love him. We're a happy family again. And when I get back from this Island, I know that he's going to be there. And so I love that we still lost could be called bad dads. The show, cause everybody's got dad issues, but I love that Hurley is the one character that they have fixed it. They're moving on. And he's trying to use that wisdom to get miles to seize the moment because who, and this is back to the back to the future of it all. If you could go back and see your parents when they were younger people or get to know them, if you didn't know them, 
would that be an opportunity you would just let fly by you? And would you regret that for the rest of your life? And in those final moments where Miles does see his dad taking care of the baby and loving the baby, it's really sweet. And he almost gets choked up and then he goes on a mission with his dad. So I thought that was nice because we, we don't know. And he doesn't know what does drive his dad away. And if it is away, away, or if it's his mom gets sent off the Island and his dad dies there, what exactly happens? So I thought that was really interesting. And we do have more of this before miles came to the Island. He had a run in with that guy, Bram, who is now on the Island, who does say that what lies in the shadow of the statue line and tells him he's working for the wrong guy and to not take Widmore's money and to not do this. And in that sequence and the sequence with Naomi, we do find out delivering the photos of the empty graves and a purchase order. Find out it was Widmore who did do that because of this dead body. I did like that that was explained further. They talk about the receipts and all that stuff, giving us more breadcrumbs on that whole situation as Miles then goes on this big, crazy thing where, yeah, he didn't realize that coming to the island was going to reveal more about his past than he wanted, but it certainly did. And that, that was the heart of the episode, learning more about the guy that we have known as Marvin Candle and Pierre Chang. And now we know that in that opening episode of this season where he's waking up and he's taking care of the baby and stuff that that's miles. So if you rewatch five Oh one, the first five minutes of that before he's filming a video and stuff will be a little bit more interesting because it does show him as a loving father that we didn't necessarily know in the moment. When Miles is in the break room and he realized that that was his mother in front of him or behind him, I was like, it's the back to the future paradox. So if she turns around and she sees Miles, is he going to like disappear? I kept thinking that somebody was going to, you know, disappear into nothing if they ran across their former selves. But I just really have to understand that lost time travel doesn't work like that. Right. Whatever happened, happened. And I do want to give a shout out in those Miles flashbacks. He does visit a distraught dad who's looking to be let off the hook. And that distraught dad is none other than Hank Schrader, Dean Norris from Breaking Bad. And that was cool to see him. Um, and I, I love that Miles, the con man, tells him what he wants to hear. And then before Miles goes to the island, he comes back and says, I lied. Your son didn't know shit. And if you loved him, you should have told him while he was a lot, while he was still alive. And that was digging deeper at the heart of what we know about miles and his dad issues. But that was like a real, a real zing that miles could have kept that money, but there was something morally that he couldn't let that stand when he thought back on it. So we do know he's got some sort of deep daddy issues, but also a bit of a code that he's probably operating under, not just the con man who was out for a quick buck. And then this, the way that this episode ends is miles goes with Chang to welcome some of the scientists back off of the sub. And as he's unloading all their gear up pops, our good old buddy, Daniel Faraday. And the episode ends with him saying, Hey miles, long time, no see. And Faraday has been MIA for a few episodes. So we're still figuring out, is this the guy? who's going to be able to fix everything for us or not. When Daniel popped up out of the submarine, I was like, fuck yeah. 
<laughs> that is that is all I have to say about that scene. Fuck yeah. I loved every yeah. single second of it. That is the end of our journey for today. There is one scene that we totally skipped over that I feel like we probably should address, um, which was actually last episode. We did see when Ben was going to get his revenge on Penny. So Ben goes in the flashback to kill Penny. He tells Widmore on the phone, I'm going back to the island tomorrow, but before I go, I'm getting my revenge. I'm looking at your daughter right now. I'm going to kill her. Goodbye. And he goes with the intentions of killing her, but then he sees Charlie. And in those moments, new, new Charlie, baby Charlie, not, not Charlie, Charlie. He realizes that like, yes, Widmore is responsible for the death of his daughter, but he is just as responsible and he doesn't necessarily want to continue this cycle of pain. So he's going to let it go. Um, but in those moments, he had already attacked Desmond and Desmond gets the better of him. And that is how Ben got beaten to a pulp is that Desmond did it. And on, on the present time, we find out that Ben is remorseful of even making the attempt. So he was not successful. He changed his mind. He got beaten up. But he does say, like, if you ever see Desmond Hume, please tell him I'm sorry for even going there. So I thought that was a nice ray of light, but also fun to watch Ben get beaten to a pulp. After Desmond punched Ben into the water, I thought that Ben was going to swim under the water, get the gun, pop back up and shoot Penny. But I was like so happy that he didn't do that. I was scared shitless throughout that entire sequence because Mm -hmm. I kept thinking Benjamin's going to win. It was so tense, but I'm glad that they included that so that we know he didn't go through with it. He got what he deserved and that Desmond, Penny, and Charlie are still safe out there somewhere. Brings us to the end of this episode. Thanks for listening. If you guys have any comments or questions, you can use the hashtag Radio815 or find us on Twitter at JJUniverse815. If you are watching along with us next week, we are going to be talking about episodes 14 and 15 of the fifth season of lost. So it is a lighter homework assignment, two episodes to watch for next week. If you want to reach out to me on Twitter, I am at Matt Crandall, Marcelo. If the folks want to yell at you on Twitter or praise you on Twitter, what's the best way to do that? Uh, you can just uh, reach out to me on Twitter. I'm at Creek fanatic 88. Thanks so much. Let your friends know if you like the show, Just try and like, subscribe, comment. Anything helps. We appreciate if you've gotten this far. Thanks so much for listening. Until next week, Radio 815 over and out.